the Japanese company when they try and when they want to hire you or, or, or make a deal with your company overseas, it's a long-term process. It's not just come in, shake hands, and we're done. We got a deal. No, it'll take a, a long time. It's a long process to find a good partner, and a business deal actually is a long process. Konnichiwa, Minasan. Business Success Japan no podcast de yokoso. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Lydia Buchelman. My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan specific communication skills, especially in business. While I don't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. Just a quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast and learn more, and it also helps me to keep going as an independent creator. So, thank you in advance. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Ellen Acosta of Workshift Solutions, Japan's largest platform of registered overseas freelancers. Workshift Solutions allows companies to quickly and inexpensively access talented multilingual overseas freelancers online for inbound and e commerce support, multilingual translation, overseas market surveys, overseas market research, telephone appointment services, sales channel expansion, design, and much, much more. Alan himself grew up spending many years of his life moving from country to country, learning new languages and lifestyles before settling in Japan. We'll hear more about his experiences and his work at Workshift Solutions in the interview. But before that, let's go over some Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned Jiko Shokai. Jiko Shokai. Jiko Shokai. Jiko Shokai simply means self introduction in Japanese. But it will come up fairly often during your time in Japan, so it may be worthwhile to just go ahead and memorize the word. Today, we'll learn another phrase that's important for people living and working in Japan. Shu shoku katsudo. Shu u shoku katsudo. Shu shoku katsudo. This term is a compound of two Japanese words. Shu shoku means finding employment, while katsudo refers to an activity or an action. So put together, shushoku katsudo refers to the activities people do in order to find employment or work. For example, seniors in college in Japan typically spend much more of their time on shushoku katsudo than on coursework. If interested, be sure to check out the description of the episode to see the kanji used in this word as well. But without any further delay, let's get into today's interview. Okay, my name is Alan Acosta. I am、uh, now currently living in、uh, Tokyo, as I have been for the past probably 40 years. It's been, it hasn't been straight through though. I, I did、um, live outside of Japan for a, a brief while, but I'm from Los Angeles, California.、Uh, however,、uh, my father worked、uh, with the US government. And various overseas assignments. So I grew up very much in、uh, Latin America. So I did pick up Spanish 
because I was because I was in um, elementary school and junior high and high school overseas. I lived in Panama, Colombia, and the Dominican Republic. After that, when I went to university in California, um, I wanted to be overseas again. So I, I and I wanted to go to a place I had not been to. So I picked Asia. I, I was uh, happy to go anywhere that they sent me in Asia. They had a my 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 university had a program in Japan, so I said okay. And off I went. So I spent my sophomore year in uh, Japan. I started to learn ja J Japanese when I arrived. Then when I went, came back to the United States to finish my, my university, um, I continued with Japanese. And right after graduation, I found a, a, a job in Japan with the, actually the program is now called JET. You may have heard of it. It's quite big. Um, when I was in that program, there were only about 30 people in the whole country. And it was at that time, it was called the Mombusho English Fellow. So on my, on, on my um, CV, basically I write it as Mombusho English Fellow. That's what it was called. About a few years after I left, that program, they changed it to JET. So the organization changed a little bit. And um, I think these days, there's, there are probably a hundred, there are more than a hundred, I think, JETs in any given time, I think. There are a lot of JETs. But it changed the, the organization name and the organization itself changed very much. So I spent two years in Ehime with the JET program. And uh, after that, uh, eventually, I studied Japanese at uh, Japanese Advanced Center. It's uh, an organization uh, that is operated by Stanford University, uh, but it's called the Inter-University Inter Japanese Language Program, I think. And it was at that time when I, when I was in it, uh, it was in Tokyo, but later they moved the head office to Yokohama, not too far from here, but. So I went through that for Japanese advanced studies. And then um, I was just um, hanging around Tokyo and looking for something to do. And uh, I was uh, picked up by a investment firm. Well, it was a broker that was bearing securities. And um, that was very interesting. I mean, this. I mean, a lot of people that currently in Japan probably went through the same type of, um, uh, of experience, where uh, they basically just picked me up off the street because I was fluent in Japanese. They needed people who were English speakers who could write reports in Japanese. They um, they interviewed me. I had no background in stocks, equities the investment community I had known, but I did have experience in computers. At that time, the very first personal computers were on the market. This was a long time in the early eighties. So no one else had computers at that time, but I had bought one. And so um, that was, they hired me on that basis. They, I knew Japanese and uh, I knew computers and they didn't. <laughs> so, so they hired me. 
So I learned on the job about uh, investment. I was hired as an analyst. And I, my job was to visit Japanese companies who were listed on the stock exchange, uh, visit them, interview them, and write reports. That's what I did. Uh, that was um, how many years? Eight or nine, maybe. And uh, actually, after, after that, actually, they sent me to Buenos Aires in Argentina because um, that market was starting to pick up. I spoke Spanish. And um, they needed someone who could write reports for them in Buenos Aires. So off I went for two years in Buenos Aires. And I, I didn't think I was coming back to Japan. But a lot of things happened. And uh, I decided to come back to Japan eventually two years later. And then when I came back, I, I joined uh, Nomura Securities and basically continued well, it was a little bit different. I wasn't hired as an analyst. I, I was hired in the equity department, but uh, primarily my job then, and it was no model, was to take foreign investors who come to Japan, take them to visit to Japanese companies and interview. Well, I would interpret for them into English as they visited these listed Japanese companies. So this is very much the same job that I was doing as an analyst, except that now this time I was just giving the information to uh, a foreign investor who was with me, who I was taking to visit the companies. So that was uh, another long period. What was that about? Well, all in all, I probably was in the investment in, in the securities business for about 24, 25 years. And as that wound down, I stepped out of the industry as everyone eventually does, uh, because it changes over those years. The industry changed a lot. And now, I, after that, I joined um, an internet company, uh, which I am still in. Uh, so this internet business was, um, uh, the CEO is actually a friend of my wife's. So he had asked her one day, so what's Alan doing? And she said, well, he's uh, right now he's not doing anything. So we touched base and he said, hey, come over, help me out with my new company. So I, I did that and it was kind of fun. So that's what I'm doing right now. And uh, it's called uh, WorkShift. And basically it is a crowdsourcing service. There are others in Japan, but uh, we are the only crowdsourcing service in Japan that is really geared toward the global crowd, I guess you might say that. So we very much do what um, Upwork does in the United States. Uh, but our focus is basically we're a Japanese company. Uh, we're targeting the Japanese uh, clients. And uh, the, the background for this is that the population in Japan is declining now. That means their economy is going to, well, all the consumers will be gradually declining as they age, as they age and the uh, birth rate gets lower and lower. So we're offering on our crowdsourcing service, the global crowdsourcing service, we have a network then of freelancers from all around the world. We try to hire them based on their Japanese abilities. Uh, so uh, a, a large 
portion of our freelancers, we have 124,000 around the world. Many of them either have good Japanese speaking ability. Some of them are Japanese. Many of them are not. But uh, they either have the Japanese speaking ability. They either lived in Japan. They studied in Japan. And, uh, or they just like Japan. And they like anime, perhaps. So the, these freelancers, uh, mo- many of them have some degree of, of connection with Japan. And that's the core of our, the core competence, I guess, of our firm in terms of offering Japanese companies, uh, people all around the world who can deal with Japanese or who want to work with Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where we stand now. That's, my, that's what I do. I do a lot of it these days out of my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we we we're still in a pandemic situation as everyone is. <laughs> yeah, when we're recording, we're still in February, so that's the situation that this is happening in. But yeah, there's a few points that I'd like to dig into a little bit more. Do you have anything else to say about the declining population issue in Japan? How rapidly is that having an influence on the labor market and everything? in the country. Uh, Yes, great. Um, I think it was about, it was just a few years ago, two or three actually, where actually the the peak, the population peaked and uh, has started to decline over the last couple of years. And um, it is, that is starting to create a labor shortage, definitely. And it hasn't really uh, had a, tremendous impact yet, but it is for sure starting to impact Japanese companies. They are going to start more and more having harder time, more difficult time trying to find employees. Uh, so the labor shortage is probably probably the first problem that will arise in Japan, it already has. And uh, secondly would be that the consumers will decline and so the consumption in Japan from the domestic market will begin to decline. That means Japanese companies will have a harder and harder time to to grow. They'll have to, they will have to, well, to, to, to some degree to make up for the labor shortage, they'll have to try and hire more people from outside of Japan. Secondly, to to make up for the lack of consumers or the declining consumers, they will have to try and um, look for alternative markets overseas. So those two things are happening. And one that I can certainly speak of uh, with more clarity is the labor shortage. This is happening, especially at the, I guess we might call it the low end. Um, So uh, the type being um, sought Right now would be, for example, construction workers, that area. And um, this one, very interesting. I was just at a, at, a, at a meeting about this. Well, I was narrating at this meeting from um, sponsored by the Ministry of Labor. They were promoting seminars in Southeast Asia, especially in the Philippines, um, Malaysia, Nepal, Indonesia, 
they're seeking workers to work in the nursing care in Japan. So these would be people who look after, who, who would work in facilities in Japan, nurse, nursing care facilities in Japan to take care of the aged, the elderly people in Japan. There is a, a growing shortage, critical shortage of people to work in these facilities. A lot of these are in rural areas. It's, it's throughout Japan. And at this, this narration I was doing for, for the labor, Ministry of Labor, they were advertising to people in those countries, please come to Japan and work in these um, nursing care facilities. We will take care of you. We will look after you. We have um, support. You will have support to find a place to live, uh, to do paperwork work that you need to to find a place to live. You need to study a nursing care test. You have to you have to study Japanese. You have to have at least a minimal level of Japanese. We will help you to do that as well. So it's a very it's it's um I'm, I might want to I want to say that it's a massive uh, uh, attempt to hire because this is going directly to those countries. The seminar where the local local government, I guess, and, and, and maybe working with some private companies can set up these seminars, invite people who would like to go to Japan, who would like to find a, a, a job somewhere, and, and Japan is willing to pay for all that, help them come help them learn what they need to learn. They need to learn some nursing care, some basic learn, uh, nursing care skills. And then when they go back to their home country, eventually they'll have those skills to apply into their home, in their home countries. So many of those countries, uh, they, they don't have nursing care facility, facilities as progressive, I guess, as Japan's or as developed as Japan's. But uh, they understand that um, because in many of those countries, the, the children of elderly basically take care of their uh, elderly. In Japan, that would normally be the case, or I guess maybe in the old days it was. But these days, children generally don't live with their parents anymore. Uh, the parents usually live in rural areas, and the children usually um, basically move to uh, crowded cities where the parents don't join them. So all in all, it is a, a, a massive, uh, uh, basically attempt, I would say, by the Japanese government to find and lure, or you might say promote this job, these jobs, to Southeast Asian countries to find manpower for nursing care. And it's a, it's a very, it's, well, it's a, a very well written out. It's, it's very typical of Japan to do a very good job and thorough job of setting up, uh, developing this, they had in Japanese and I translated. And then, the, then I did the narration as well. After I did that work, that, this was last week. After I did that narration in English, uh, I was followed by one of the freelancers on, in our <laughs> crowdsourcing service a Nepalese fellow, and he did the same thing, and, and he translated from Japanese into Nepalese, because they're because they're targeting Nepal, Indonesia, Philippines, 
I think maybe one or two other countries as well in Southeast Asia for these positions. Yeah, I, I imagine this problem became a rather chronic problem uh, over the past several of year, several years, and now the government is really moving forward with this program um, to hire people from overseas and bring them into Japan. And part of the plan is that if these people come, if they take a certain type of course for nursing care and Japanese, they can actually earn a visa that is um, almost as almost the equivalent of a permanent visa so that they could actually stay in Japan long-term. Um, initially, they need to return to Japan, but if they pass the, the next level of um, nursing care, I guess there are levels, if they pass the next level, then they can actually earn a, a visa to stay in Japan longer. So that's a very big uh, change. So definitely Japan is moving forward to let people, to, to draw people to Japan and give them the opportunity to earn a visa to stay here for a long period of time. That, that was um, unthinkable several years ago. Mm -hmm. So things are changing in that regard. But as I said, it's, it, you can see it's, it is very much at the low level. These aren't high level jobs, but they're still good ones. Mm -hmm. And they're essential jobs, that's for sure. It's that's interesting sure. that they're already being so aggressive in recruiting for these positions. I hadn't heard about those programs. So that was yeah. very, it's very um, good to know. And it's only beginning. That's the thing. This is only the beginning of how they're yeah. going to have to address this shortage of workers. Yeah. And, and the name of that um, visa level, I think, they call it the Specified Skilled Care. I guess is what they're calling it. So they have actually this almost the same name of uh, visa level for other jobs in Japan too. That might, might maybe um, construction related. Certainly now in this nursing care area too. That, that type of level does grant you then a, a long-term visa. That's really good to know. Yeah, I had heard before from people that of course, the population is shrinking, but I hadn't heard the perspective of the other side of that, which is that not only is the labor force shrinking, but the consumption side will be shrinking as well. So it'll be interesting to see what that means in terms of businesses' mindsets, because I had almost heard it referred to as the blessing and the curse of Japan having a big market, because companies could afford to only focus on Japan. They didn't have to look at how to appeal to a broader international audience. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes corporate culture. Well, actually, you can. there's one area you can look at that, that will reveal that uh, most immediately, and that is in the universities in Japan. All of the universities in Japan, because the, the young population, the, the university age population is shrinking, so if you can you imagine if you're an admissions officer at a, a university, let's say, I don't know, let's say it's a Keio or, or Waseda or Tokyo University, your pool of high school of, well, I guess if, if those are good, those are good universities, your pool of talented high school graduates is getting smaller every year. So what do you do? Well, you're competing against these other universities 
but the pool is getting smaller and smaller and has been for several years. You're an admissions person and you know, your, your school, as any university, even if, if you think of uh, the United States, the same thing is happening. You can find all kinds of many, many foreigners in those universities. Why? It's economics. And the Japanese universities have the same issue now. If they don't hire talented high school students, their quality is going to go down for one. But also, if they don't get those people to come in, how are they going to pay for their school? You know, all the, all the, they have all of these costs that they have to pay for every year. So they need more and more students. Students, And if you look at any of those these universities, you'll find that all of them have been starting these uh, new ways to actually promote and uh, find talented foreign students to study in their schools. Waseda especially, that they have even, a lot of these universities, they've set up like international divisions where the, maybe they don't have such strong Japanese as the Japanese students do. So they have these international divisions, which are actually, they have some Japanese, but they also have a lot of uh, classes, courses in English. And the professors are teaching the same, maybe a lot of the same curriculum in, in English. And actually they've hired a lot of foreign professors to teach. So you can see it happening in the universities first. If you, if you look at any university in Japan, actually, maybe online even, you'll find that there's a lot of these kinds of international programs now or divisions. Divisions are filled with a lot of like people from Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, Malaysia, Nepal, a lot of them from these countries because the schools need that tuition <laughs> income. So they're going after the, a, basically the, the up, upper class uh, population in these countries because they can afford to maybe pay for the, the tuition. They bring them in, they, they give them an education that's uh, from a good Japanese university. This, if this is happening at the university level, it's gonna have to happen at the company level too, because that's the next step. You know, they graduate out of the universities and if there's fewer and fewer graduates every year, the companies are gonna have to find people. And if, if there are more um, foreigners who graduate from Japanese universities, their Japanese will be good. The problem is many companies, even still now, even if they speak Japanese, they often are very reluctant to hire someone who's not Japanese, mostly because their Japanese level is not as strong as a native speaker, obviously. As you know, the Japanese corporate life has, uh, has very specific rules, or, but Japanese itself is also very, has very specific nuances. So there is a lot of reluctance on the part of Japanese to hire a non-native speaker because they're just afraid of the, the language barriers. I myself, interestingly, as I um, look, part of my job is, is to sell our product. So I'm doing a lot of sales as well. And I've, we're trying to sell our foreign, our freelancers overseas. So we're trying to contact Japanese companies who have an in, who have an overseas operation, and we can sell them maybe. Hey, 
um, you're interested in, in Southeast Asia. Well, we have some freelancers in um, maybe Malaysia who can do that sales uh, skill, who have a sales skill for you. They speak Japanese. You can hire them to do a, a special task. And when I'm doing that, when I'm looking through uh, Japanese companies, interestingly, interestingly, I find that a lot of Japanese companies with overseas operations, it might, or it might be in you or the US or Europe or in Asia or even Africa, a lot of those people that they are hiring recently are actually foreigners who work, who studied in Japan, learned Japanese. So there are a lot of foreigners in these Japanese companies, but they're hired because their specialty is overseas business. And they have the local language already. And they have Japanese now, so they can work with the, the management and still get what they need to do in a foreign language, be it French or German or, or Malaysia or in Indonesia, Bahasa. So that's one area where I have found a growing number of foreigners in Japanese companies. But that's just a very small niche, special niche. But the rest of Japan is going to have to start to really, if they want to find talent, they're going to have to dip into uh, the market of uh, foreigners. I mean, they have to do that because the, the, this economy is going to shrink. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to hear that the colleges are such a clear example of what's going on. It makes sense that that would be the most obvious first bottleneck because with labor markets, you can fudge things a little bit by having people work a little bit longer or yeah. just making do with fewer people for a little while. But with college, you're literally only there for four years and then you move on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's in, we'll see how- it's just, an economic, just an economic issue. And you see the same thing happening with in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Those call those universities have a lot more foreigners, and Japan has to do the same thing. If otherwise, they can't fill their coffers with the, the tuition income that they need. Yeah, so I can almost see, in some strange way, a little bit of an echo from the '80s, where foreigners had a big opportunity by being in Japan because they were so desperate to have people just work there. And again, in the coming years, that could be the case in some way again because of this labor shortage so we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out for people who want to work in japan or with japanese companies so what impact do you think the current pandemic specifically will have on how japanese companies approach work and hiring oh wow that's a, a great question certainly the the government here has asked companies to try to reduce commutes to the office, try and cut back staff and have 70% of their staff work at home. They've been asking or pleading, you might say, pleading in order to reduce congestion and people in, in the city and asking everyone, try to promote in each company, try to promote working at home, online, use the internet, use Zoom to get your work done at home. So try not to let all your staff come. Try to keep so stretching out to like a year now, and uh, it's going to still continue for um, maybe the rest of this year. And if that's the case, these um, 
stay at home, working at home activity will probably start to make some kind of inroad the company's culture itself. That's just inevitable because it's basically it's you you would have thought that maybe you could test it out, but in this case they're testing it out, but it's forced upon them, and so there will be changes made, and so to some degree it's going to stick. Anecdotally, I've just heard quite a few people say that. Of course, up until now, companies were all saying, oh, no, it's impossible. Everybody has to come into the office all the time. And then once the pandemic hit, suddenly it was possible for people (laughs) to work from home. And a lot of those same companies are now committing to at least some days a week at home. So, Yeah. yeah, I can definitely see that starting to take hold, which is exciting. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically about what tends to make freelancers appealing to Japanese companies that are looking to hire them? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> the reason is because um, we haven't really made that much progress uh, in um, convincing Japanese companies to do that. Um, so it, it sounds like a, a no-brainer that they would, Uh, want that. But the reason is many of them, they're thinking this way. Um, This is what they've they've sometimes said to us. We'd like to hire this, you know, someone like, for example, in the Netherlands. Uh, But we don't like the idea of hiring a freelancer because we haven't trained them. We're not sure how loyal they would be to our mission. You know, our, our HR department hasn't vetted them. So, so there are those, and those are also all very basic, very elementary reasons, I guess. So they basically just don't want to jump out of their process for hiring people, which includes training and vetting and teaching. So that's really, I think, the biggest sticking point. Less than that is uh, the, the skill set of the people who they would be hiring. I think that finding someone with a good skill set is good, but they're just so worried about these other, basically HR issues, they're reluctant to do that. So we have to, to overcome that, I think will take a, a long time. Are there any commonalities between companies that have been more open to it? I don't, I don't think there's one special one, but there are several factors that one can think about. One very basic one is that many of the very um, successful small, medium-sized companies in Japan with good technology, world-class technology or products, many of them are actually in rural areas in Japan. And... Um, the, the owners of those companies are now um, rather elderly. Maybe they started their company like 50 years ago. Uh, they built up a nice company, a good, a great product. But those, those owners themselves are not computer <laughs> savvy. Uh, so they, it's hard for them to adapt to our system because ours is completely online. Even to get into our, our service and to start clicking around, and they, 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 they can't do it, believe it or not. But that's because they're, you know, they're owners of a company, and they have been for a long time, but they just have, they never, I mean, 
computers came along when they were already well on their way. So they they don't, still don't have any, are not good at, at computers still. So that was one reason because a lot of the good companies here, their, their ownership and management is, is actually a, quite elderly. Um, that would be one reason. The other reason would be, for example, in the U.S., the big crowdsourcing firm, uh, Upwork, they have a lot of business in PC programming related areas where the freelancers can uh, have uh, a lot of PC ability. But uh, the problem with is the language one for Japan, I think. If you are a, a PC manager in Japan, usually the PC programming geeks, if you will, those are usually not the, the liberal arts <laughs> gang. They're usually not good at language. They're usually not good at English. They're good at PCs and, and the computer languages. That's fine. But so they're not usually, those PC managers, if they're not good at English, how are they going to communicate with these freelancers overseas who, it's the same way, the PC freelancers overseas are also not good at Japanese. So there's a big communication problem there because the PC managers have to communicate and manage the projects of freelancers if they're overseas, if they're people overseas anyway. Uh, so that's, that's an area. In our crowdsourcing service, we have very, very little PC programming types of freelancers. Most of the jobs are in um, translation work or in sometimes interpretation. Um, on-site, and um, sales, marketing, um, a lot of uh, influencers overseas who can sell, promote your product. Those are the main areas. Another big area actually is, and this is, this is where the pandemic has a negative impact on, uh, on our services, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the, clients who stick with us are related to travel, the travel industry. Um, but with the pandemic, no one's going anywhere, either domestic or foreign. No one's coming to Japan either because that's how everything is right now blocked up. But that would be, so if anything, the pandemic in that sense is, is a very definite negative because um, a client of ours, for example, would be JTB. And um, it's, it's, it's slow right now, it's very slow. Because in the past couple of years, actually, foreign visitors to Japan have been a, a big, have grown a lot, and that has become a very big market for the Japanese, uh, in, especially in rural Japan, but also in the cities. Uh, they were bringing a lot of income to, to Japan. And the travel companies have benefited from that a great deal. So this is a, a big negative impact right now, <laughs> the pandemic. Yeah. That's killing the travel industry. But again, that's just something that we'll have to wait and see how much of an impact it has and how much it changes things and how much it speeds other things up. We'll just have to wait and see. But going back a little bit, can you tell us a little more about some other things that might be 
a bit of a turnoff to Japanese companies besides language ability? I think, um, well, that would by far be the biggest one, the, the language ability there mm-hmm. and the awareness or, or ability to understand or to be familiar with you know, Japanese management practices and uh, knowing Japanese is a big part of that. Anyway, it's really the, the biggest thing the far. Yeah, it can kind of be hard to separate the language from the culture anyway. So, yeah. so are there any other types of work that are especially in demand for people who may want to freelance in Japan? Any things that you think may be growing opportunities if people are looking for new skills that might mm-hmm. let them freelance in Japan? Well, the, the biggest areas in, right now, and, and this is not this is this is not freelancing actually at all, but convenience stores in Japan are are very big uh, users of foreigners now. Have a, a very important um, reason to do that. That it's a basic, basically all part of a plan. For example, the convenience store I can think of mostly like Seven Seven Eleven. With a lot of Vietnamese, maybe students, who are are, are working in the, the convenience store. But 7-Eleven, you see, is planning to, or has already begun quite a bit, expanding their chain in Vietnam. So they're basically hiring these people here, and they're training them, and then they'll send them back to Vietnam, and they'll be trained 7-Eleven employees. And they can, they'll be able to build the, seven, the 7-Eleven chain in Vietnam. And the same, you can say, for almost any country. So they have a plan. Management has a good, a good plan that this is for building their brand overseas and their, their whole chain franchise. So they are expanding overseas. And they're doing it by hiring these locals from the market that they plan to build overseas. These aren't, these aren't freelancers, though, but these are definitely foreigners. <laughs> yeah, that's a very clever approach to trying to enter new markets. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that one before. And I've seen several, like, they look like they're Scandinavian employees at 7-Eleven. I mean, they're, they're blonde, so they're, I think they're very much, okay, so maybe they're going, they're going to start a franchise up in Sweden now. Could be. It's definitely an option. Yeah. Have to see where that goes to in the coming years. Yes. Yes. So do you have any personal examples of a communication breakdown in Japan that you think is due to differences in culture? These are these are harder to point out, but um and going back to this um Ministry of Labor plan to hire nursing care individuals. They, they put out surveys to some of the existing foreigners who are already in the program. And they asked them in the survey, what are some of the differences that you encountered when working with the Japanese? They know these aren't companies, they're more organizations. Uh, one of the, the main answers was often punctuality. So these are... Um, I don't know if they're from the Philippines or, or Indonesia, or, or I don't remember which country they were from, somewhere in Southeast Asia, but they said, well, you know, 
from in my country, if you arrive on time, even if you arrive a little late, it's okay. It's not that not the big deal. So in Japan, if if you arrive, if you if you're supposed to be there at nine o'clock and you arrive at nine o'clock, you're already late. <laughs> so so they need if you if you start at nine o'clock, you got to be there before nine o'clock so you can tidy up and and be ready and be already working at that at that time so there's a no that's a i think that's a minor in their response to the survey basically they had had replied that they have learned and got used to the requirements that the japanese organization has and what they expect you to comply with and um it wasn't a big issue, but at the beginning, it was a foul paw. They definitely made mistakes by not arriving earlier than on time. <laughs> that's always a big one, I think. One yes. that's easy to overlook. Yes, yes, yes. So then besides punctuality and maybe besides language as well, if you were speaking with somebody who wanted to go to Japan for business or to find a job and they could really only learn one thing about the country or the culture before they went there, what would you choose to teach them? Yeah, so I, I thought about this question before. I, I don't have a really a, a, a singular answer. I'm thinking though, from a, a Japanese company's point of view, and this is what I have heard over the years, that uh, the Japanese company, when they try and when they want to hire you or, or, or make a deal with your company overseas, it's a long-term process. It's not just come in, shake hands, and we're done. We got a deal. No, it'll take a, a long time. It's a long process to find a good partner, and that would be the first thing I guess I could say. And that's uh, really. A, a business deal actually is a long process before they find they're comfortable enough to sign up with you. If you're an individual, it's uh, well definitely uh, the language is a very very uh, important bar to clear because as you know the the levels of politeness and the nuances of, of that are very important to just fitting in and communicating with the locals. So is there anything else you would like to mention to my audience? Anything we didn't get a chance to talk about before we head off for today? It's, it's certainly interesting though, that, you know, the way different cultures would, would react to similar things. But the Japanese culture itself, in terms of business even, is very unique. There are many things that they're very adept at doing certainly fitting in is, is, is a big is a big thing just finding a, a, a way to fit into a, a job you have to find your own place and make it work well thank you again so much for your time i'm happy to do this i, I hope it's worthwhile i hope it's uh, useful for someone i'm sure it will be thanks again you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to check out the links in the description of the episode to learn more about alan acosta and the japan-focused freelance platform he's working on workshift solutions 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the messages and information shared in this podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. And feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. If you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do so in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo. Thank you.